Hello and welcome to the Northern Crime Syndicate podcast with me, your host, A.M. Peacock. But for the purposes of this, you can just call me Adam. Robert Scrag is the co-host on today's Northern Crime Syndicate podcast. Robert is the author of the Porter and Style series. More on that later on in the after show. Um, I know he has three books out, but he's always working on something. So I assume he's got about seven or eight planned. We'll soon see. And if you're a fan of Robert Scrag as much as I am, then you can pick up copies of his books at Forum Books, who we produce this show in conjunction with. Forum Books are an independent bookstore based in Corbridge. And now more than ever, such stores need our support. So please do visit their website or there in person, pick up some copies of some books. Today's guest on the Northern Crime Syndicate podcast is Nikki Mackay. She is a writer and a bookworm. She studied performing arts at the Brit School. It turned out she wasn't very good at acting, her words, not mine, but quite liked writing scripts. She then went on to take a BA in English literature and drama. She later won a full scholarship for an MA in journalism. The first two novels, I Witness, and The Lies We Tell feature private investigator Madison Attlee. Found Her is her first digital-only release and is a standalone psychological thriller. She's currently working on a book based on an unsolved serial killer case due out in paperback in December, and she's also a co-host of a true crime podcast, Crime Girl Gang. Uh, a lot to unpick there, and I'm really looking forward to getting into that, but first of all, Nikki, just let me thank you for coming on the podcast today. Oh, it's a pleasure, thank you. It's so weird to hear everything condensed like that. I'm sort of like, oh yeah, done all that this year. And my publication date for um, Loaded, which is the book based on the true crime, has actually now been moved to May. Okay. That's interesting. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll start at the end then, rather than the beginning, just for a moment, because I know a number of, of people have had um, the books kind of pushed back, and some have kind of kept the same. And Because I know that the kind of the digital stuff has been selling well during lockdown, as, mm. as you might imagine. Um, so how do you feel about that being pushed back and, uh, you know, the kind of the reasons behind yeah, that and stuff? I'm cool with it. I have another digital release as well, which was going to come out in February and still will come out in February. So it's all with the same publisher, but two of those are with, so I'm with Orion, and the digital ones are with their new digital imprint dash. So I've got those at my end, Joe McCoy, but so there'll be another one of those which is written and done and dusted out in February. And then my next physical book, which is Loaded, which is the true crime one will come out in May. And to be honest, I've still got one book left in that contract to write, so it's breathing space for me, so I was quite relieved. Yeah. With the true crime stuff, I'm intrigued, because I know we'll, we'll touch on the Crime Girl Gang true crime podcast. Mm. Did you already have designs on writing a, a true crime-based book before the podcast, or did the podcast inspire it and, and kind of it was a case. It was a case that we covered on the podcast. My publisher actually approached me to write these two. um, So Loaded is kind of like a gangland book, which isn't the style that I've written in previously. And they sort of asked whether I'd be interested in writing those. And I sort of hummed and hard. And this case came up from the 60s that we covered on the podcast, um, the Hammersmith Mead murders. So eight women were murdered in Hammersmith in the 60s. And no one knows about this case. So eight prostitutes, which I think is more than Jack the Ripper killed. and it just, it was a fascinating case. So I kind of, I used that for my first gangland. So yeah, it came from, directly from the podcast. And how, how hard have you found it? You mentioned a change in style. How hard have yeah. you found it to, to do that shift in the style of the actual writing? Do you know what? It's okay. It's still crime. Like crime's a broad church, isn't it? And it's, I've written like my first two private investigator novels. Uh, the two digitals are like standalone psych thrillers. This is gangland. So I figure next I'll be writing police procedural. Do you know what I mean? Like crime's a broad church. And I, it's all, 
um, yeah, like the discipline is it's a different, it's been more challenging. It's not naturally the way that I'd write, I think, and perhaps using a true crime case as well. Like I'm not research heavy on my books, as my reviews will strongly tell you. Um, <laughs> but I try and avoid things that involve like masses of factual research. So working on a case that was my murder factual case and fiction was was a bit tricky. I'm glad it's done. <laughs> so, <laughs> so going back to the beginning, then uh, obviously you mm. described well in in your biography you were a writer and a bookworm. So, like most, I assume you were a bookworm before you were a writer. And so, yeah. what, what were your kind of those in your formative years? Which books and what kind of reading did you do that led on to kind of a, an interest further down the line? My absolute like favourite author who I still read now, and there's a podcast just started up about him. So my teenage, I, when I was younger, I read like stuff like Witch Week, and I like Nicholas Fisk, who was this weird sci-fi writer that nobody seems to have read, but he wrote really creepy books that aimed at that kind of middle grade fiction. And there's some of the books I remember reading and rereading, um, like one about this psychotic granny from outer space and just weird stuff, you know. And I I liked him. And then as I got older. Point Horror and Christopher Pike, but Christopher Pike for me was absolutely the one. And I still, I still read, I still reread a lot of his books now. And he wrote crime, and you never knew what you were getting. But I think he must have. I was a teenager in the nineties, and I think he must have been like the best-selling young adult writer. So R.L. Stein and stuff. So they were quite tame, and they really were like they were quite clean horror and stuff. Christopher Pike was a messed up. I mean, like one of the books. You know, they all involved like drugs, sex, scandal, but they were young adults. So they were the kind of books that you could get away with reading because they, they were in the young adult section. But if your parents knew, you know, they were like an intro to Stephen King and James Herbert and that sort of stuff, I suppose. Whereas R.L. Stein was kind of like, you know, your friend's camera's a bit evil and, uh, you know, you, you, you yeah. kill it by throwing cheese at it or something by the end. Not to, not to yeah, talk down R.L. Like, Stein, by the way, because I absolutely loved the Goosebump books as a child in the 90s. <laughs> absolutely yeah, loved them. Me, me too, yeah. me too. But the Christopher Pike just had a bit more me. And even now, like, there's a there's a trilogy, of the, the Final Friend trilogy, which is pretty much straight crime. And I still read that. I still reread that trilogy now and think it's... Like some of his books are just the most perfectly crafted stories. So, but yeah, I mean, I read, I, I have always read anything and everything and, and whatever, you know, Flowers in the Attic. I read widely across the and stuff, but yeah. And so and is, is, like, is horror something you would be interested in writing? I don't think so. Like, I have toyed with the idea, but I don't think so. I don't know. Like, I'd love, I don't think I read enough in it. Like, the Stephen King books that I like the most are probably less horror and more um like i reread firestars recently and that and the institute of his which came out recently i like those really neat creepy stories but not necessarily strictly horror yeah never rule it out like never say never <laughs> so so studying performing arts at the brit school then sort of yeah. how did that come about and obviously it mentions here that you obviously the acting in the end wasn't really for you but you like writing the scripts so what was the kind of motivation going into that? And so did it turn on its head and, and sort of script writing wasn't necessarily your, I guess, dream when you went into it and that changed or was it always kind of the plan? Yeah, I don't, so I think I was I was at like this all girls school in New Malden and I was a bit naughty. So I was always on report. And I think I sort of had a bit of a falling out with my drama teacher over this. I, I saw um, the Brit school on <laughs> news rounds. Do you remember news rounds? I think it's still on. I saw the Brit School on Newtown and it said it was Croydon's answer to Bane. And I was pretty much re-watching Bane on repeat at that time. And I thought, well, that sounds better than the school I'm at. Like, this sounds like easy straight in comparison. 
and I went for the audition and stuff, and, and I was I was into sort of drama and dance at school, and, and um, honestly, I just I think I just thought it'd be easier, and actually, you get to the Brit School and it's nine to five every flipping day, and then you've got rehearsals afterwards, you've got to do all your normal subjects, and then on top of it, you've got all this performing arts. But it's a fantastic environment, like it's a great it's a great school, and it's the only non-campaign performing arts school in the country. I'm intrigued as well. When you first went there, obviously had aspirations of being on the screen. Then was there yeah. was there a particular role or a particular actress that you looked at at the time and thought that's the kind of role I want to play? Oh, do you know what? I don't know. Again, it was just. I think it's always. It always just boils back down to. I like plays. I like films. I like books. I just like story. But I think somewhere in the muddle of that, I sort of got into my head. You know, I had I did quite a few plays at my previous school, and I got into my head that that might be something you could do for a job that meant you wouldn't have to sit in an office all day. Which I just couldn't see myself doing, and me working in office is absolute proof that I should never ever be doing that for for the good of everybody who works in offices. Um, so I don't, yeah. I mean, I guess I thought that maybe I'd end up on the stage work, but I did. I liked the writing aspect of it. I liked devising. And I guess that's what I left with, because that's what I enjoyed doing the most. Mm. But yeah, scripts never rule out scripts. I mean, I don't know, I think that's sort of like a harder gig than just normal publishing. Maybe. I don't know, maybe you guys might know, but I think that's a hard gig, isn't it, script writing? Well, well I, I've, never really, I've never ventured into it, but I know, that, you know, if we look at sort of Trevor Wood in the Northern Crime Syndicate, he's, you know, he, he was writing plays and stuff before he even, he was writing novels, I guess. Um, oh, wow. And has had stuff touring around, but I... I I've I've written the odd radio drama mainly for uni myself, and then I was a teacher for a while and, and taught a bit of radio drama, so th- that kind of script work was and, and I've done some recordings around that, but n- I've never ventured any further than that. Really, I don't know about you, Rob? I'm I'm busy giving it a crack actually because I'm kind of in between books and about to do some edits, but I've I've done about twenty five minutes worth of a feature film that I quite wow. play around with, but I've I've really had to concentrate on it because of the different structure. Discipline. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's you know it's, it's all dialogue, and you you really you're quite sparing with the, the kind of the, yeah. the scene headers to kind of set the scene. So I've, I found myself really having to kind of think, as opposed to writing crime fiction, I almost yeah. slip into autopilot. Um, I think when you read crime, you just kind of know, don't you? And when it's going yeah. well, like I don't know about you guys, but when a book's going well, you it just sort of writes itself on and on the next chapter. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of helped as well as I've, I've downloaded a few scripts of some of my favourite films and I've rewatched a couple of them and watched and, and read the script as it goes, which quite helped. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking yeah. of scripts, I know from previous chats we've had that. Um, you saw the uh, you saw the option, didn't you, for the Madison Attlee? I did for Character. the first Where, one. I witnessed, but that got dro- that it got dropped. Ah, right. It got dropped, which I think is pretty standard these things, isn't it? And it's probably like the most exciting thing that's happened in writing. And it was written by um, Rowan Barsley, who writes the Late Night Hollyoaks, which I don't know why, but I love that so much. Like I was just <laughs> like the Hollyoaks, like not not the six o'clock Hollyoaks, like the naughty ones you get after dark. I was like, we're so, we were like a match made in heaven. But yeah, it didn't go anywhere. The option got dropped, which was a shame. I must admit, I'm, I think lo- I'm loving this conversation. Growing up in the '90s, talking goosebump books in R.L. Stein news round and then Hollyoaks it's like a it's like a trip through memory lane for me really um so it's like a 90s bingo card isn't it <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll be on live and kicking next but um so the that kind of like that literature type thread seems to from a quite young age there you, you've kind of ran with that so you did the BA in English literature and drama and then the kind of the MA in journalism so that first novel Eyewitness so 
was that kind of your first foray into writing or had you done stuff before that? How did yeah, that come it about? Was, it was the first, so I went to university a bit later. I went at 20, I left home at 18, but I didn't for various reasons. Like at university, it just wasn't on the cards for me. And then a couple of sort of like live things, I was like, actually, I really would like to go and study. And this really lovely guy who ran the drama course at um, Kingston University, like I think either took pity on me or just got sick of me and hassled for a place on his course. And he gave me a place on the drama and English lit course based on this writing I'd done for it. Um, so I started doing that and I did one module in creative writing, which, you know, retrospectively, perhaps would have been a good, degree, you know, it would have been a better degree, perhaps. Those in the days where, you know, there weren't grants, but my degree didn't cost nine grand a year. Sorry if, you know, kids haven't pay that now. Um, so I did one creative writing module and the teacher was Howard Connell, who is, he's a literary, uh, he's a literary writer, he's, I think he was with people or something, and he picked up on some stuff I'd written and he really liked it. So it was a module I did best at and he was kind of pushing me to finish what I was writing at the time, which was, you know, quite 21 year old, you know, self, sort of self-pitying kind of autobiographical, do, I don't know, that, the sort of stuff that you might write at that age. And he was prodding me to finish it and maybe send it to a publisher and I never did. And then life just happens, you know, I went travelling and, and had my son at 25 and just sort of life just got away with me. So I didn't get around to actually sitting down and writing my witness. I must have, I'd finished the degree in, I'd finished the Masters in Journalism and I was working at the Surrey Comet. I was doing part-time shifts at the Surrey Comet and ended up switching that for PR because it was better paid. And I thought I'm probably not going to do PR forever. And I found myself um, working for... (laughs) The National uh, Building Federation in Crawley, which is like out where I live now. I live in sort of the Surrey Sussex border. And I was writing about flooring. <laughs> and it was just like I saw I was managing this magazine. And there were some aspects of the job I really liked. I loved going out and talking to the builders over the house and all of that stuff. But all the office stuff, oh man, like that was terrible. I, I still can't function in Excel spreadsheet or sit through a meeting without fidgeting or, or losing track of what's going on. It just wasn't for me. And um, my husband was kind of like also aware it wasn't for me. And when I became pregnant with my second son, he's like, look, I really think you should take the time to try and write this book. And, you know, just, just see, you're banging on about it all the time. Like one, and we all say, one day I'll write a book. And I had all these folders with like a few thousand words in. So I wrote Eyewitness. Well, if ever there was a, a test to kind of hone your writing skills, having to write about Florida and make it sound like in, interesting <laughs> and sexy, <laughs> is, is, you know, that, that's some way to sharpen your skills. If you can do that, you can do anything. I think so. And it was just that, like, I, I don't think in my head, I'm not sure that I thought that you could do writing for a job. You know, it hadn't occurred to me until I was getting, you know, starting to look into it that actually there was this route and what you had to do was write something, send it to an agent. And then you'd know. And I just sort of figured, well, if I write something and send it to an agent, then I'll know. And I thought it'd probably take two books. That's what I had in my head. It would take two books. And then you'll know or you'll get a feeling from the feedback. Mm. That was my thinking on it. So I wrote Eyewitness and, and sent that out. And so, so for those who maybe don't know, like what's Eyewitness about? And when writing that, what's kind of your writing, you know, how, what's your practice like? Is it sort of, do you plan? Do you just go by the seat of your pants? Do you kind of uh, mm-hmm. write a thousand words a day? How, how does that come about as well? <laughs> um, do you know what? Each book's been really, really different. Oh, thank you. Well, oh, little proof of my witness. I still love that cover. They smashed it, didn't they? That it's such a cool, such a cool looking book. That um, and I can see all the flaws in it. I don't know if you guys feel that. Like you look back on previous work and it's like, oh my god. Um, I suppose I've written another like four or five since then. Eyewitness. Uh, 
it was really, it was I think a, it's a good, good place to, to start just to help sell it for you as well. I think that quote on the cover, yeah. I think it's superb. And, and for those who haven't read it, um, if this doesn't make you want to read it, then you, you're probably yeah. dead inside already. Um, the quote is, Kate Reynolds knows she didn't kill her best friend. So why, so why did she plead guilty? Yeah. yeah. So tell us about it then. What's it about? So it's, it's literally about that. So I had this idea, like I had this scene in my head for this girl who uh, she'd just come out of prison and she pled guilty to something and she knows she didn't do it, hmm. which is like a really classic psych thriller trope, I would say, isn't it? You know, and all that. Um, and then I had this private investigator rattling around in my head who's just this sort of like ballsy, flaming house woman. Go figure where the inspiration for these women comes from. So I just, and that was the idea I started with. And I just, I just ran with it. I literally I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never read, a, I'd read Stephen King's on writing. And I still, like for me, that's still like the one. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Now, my friend um, is the short story in the back of that, Adam Howe, he is, and he's, I think it was Bumbling McGibbon he was writing under them. He's a horror writer, and he's never sort of broken through into the mainstream, but he's such a good writer, and his is the short story in the back of the world. Oh, well, that's a cracking blend of fame. I know, I know. <laughs> it's so cool. Um, um, so that, for me, is like, that's the only book I've really read of writing, and I loved it, and I love that. And it'd be, I mean, it's, so that's the only advice I really have, is just like sit down and write. And start to finish, which is what I did with Owen. And it was a sprawling mess when I finished it. And um, and I just went through it like you go through it, and I just went through it and went through it until it was polished enough. And then it got to a point where I didn't know what else to do with it. And that's when I sent it off. <laughs> okay. Which is I don't know what your process is like, but that was my process for that one. And so was it a was it a quick journey from there to kind of acceptance, or was it a bit of a slog? You know. How did that come about? No, it was, I like, I was really, I was really lucky with, um, I was really, like, I didn't know about, I had, you know, I didn't know that, I I went in, so I don't know anybody in publishing, I don't know anything about it, so I went in so blind, I had no real expectation, but I had a spreadsheet with 10, to 10 agents, and I'd gone through and I'd worked out who took crime, and my agency is the Blair Partnership, so that's kind of how far I got down with batches of pen. Um... And I was really lucky that I kind of got a phone call. I got, I think I got like three full manuscripts requests quite quickly. And then I would, I was shortlisted for the Luke Bitme bursary as well, which is uh, the prize is publication with Legend, Legend Press, I think, who are like a small indie. So I'd had that shortlist. And I'm not, you sort of have a feeling, don't you, when you may be getting close because people start to nibble. Um, and it was, it was reasonably quick. I think I sent it off. I don't actually know the dates. I think I signed with Blair in the October, and I think it had gone out on some maybe two or three months before that. So it wasn't like a painfully long period of mm. waiting. But in that time, I had written another book because I had assumed that I would have to go out and another book, which is Founder, which is the book that came out this year. So I had a spare, which I was able to publish, which I'm dead about as well. Because I was going to um, say it there, because if you... Um, if you you're saying you wrote the second book. I was thinking, did you write the second in the series? Because that's 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 a risk, isn't it? You know, if you kind of get started with book two before you get book one out there. But yeah, it was the standalone. Yeah, that kind of makes that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it was the sound. It was the standalone because I had honestly, like, I had assumed that my first novel, I I kind of reasoned it had promise, and I'd done that. I the only thing I did was I did pay. I think it's about forty quid at Brian Fest, and you can play for pitch and agent, and it's money well spent. 
So I paid to do that and I sat in front of three agents and they all gave me feedback and the feedback was pretty positive, but the general consensus was it's not quite ready. So I was expecting to get that feedback broader. So I was like, I knew that I had promise or that my writing had promise or uh, I could probably, and I asked outright, which I don't know whether you're men or not. I just sort of said, is this a reasonable thing for me to consider doing living? And all three said, yes, and definitely keep writing. So I figured at some point I'd break through, but that probably wasn't the book. And Downs Hill was, it was much easier for me to write as well. Like I wrote that in, in an insanely short period of time when I had childcare for both my children. And I just had this, like few weeks period where I sat down and started that book and it was finished and, and it, was, it was a gift. Why do you I think that was? I, I was lucky enough to read an early copy of that one. That is I, honestly that is superb. That was one of the favourite books I read that year. Oh, um, thank you so much. And it it, it does it posed another interesting question, which again I know we've chatted about before about um you, you got um, an interesting reaction from some other readers, didn't you, in terms of the um the, the dog. I did, and as I say, it was it was on pigeonhole, and it's my best selling book as well, Founder. And it wasn't the one that the publishers were sort of most keen on, so which I do sort of know in your. But yeah, no, I, there's a there's an animal death in that book. Oh. It's also a child abuse story, but the fucking animal death. Well, for, for the benefit of anyone listening, it's it's all in context, and it's it's you know the person the person that does it is is not a nice person, you know, and that's you know bad people do these kinds of things. Um, it was it's literally like it's 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 one of the main like there's this triad of psychopathy and it's one of the main indicators is animal abuse. So I just sort of go into these things. I assume that everybody reads up as, as much on psychopathy as I do, which has like been a lot of time in my office job at my desk reading up on this sort of stuff, I think, in the past, in the fell periods. Um and, and yeah, and I'd never, so I, I pigeonhole was great. You can sit there and people are reading through it and they're reading it in real time so you can see their comments. And I was like, oh man, I thought, honestly, I thought they were going to send So what I've just, I've noticed as well on the cover, by the way, found her, and I mean this in a very positive way, it's got a very Robert Scrag type vibe to that cover. Or perhaps Robert Scrag has, his books have a... a we were colour matched, I think, in those covers with your it's the second Porter and Styles one. I think they colour matched. I'm, but Rob yeah. and I have like parallel writing journeys. Like, yeah. you know, like we do, yeah, we, um, day, yeah, we actually day. shared it, didn't we? We shared that. Yeah. We shared an agent for a couple of years as well. Yeah, so we, we kind of we've, we've been like in parallel for a little while. Yeah, and so why? Why? I mean, it's probably an obvious. Will be an obvious answer to this, but found her's written under N. J. Mackay, and so what yeah. was the kind of thing behind the name? change because just because so because my publisher is taking Nikki Mackay more into these gangland saga books and I still want a brand where I can write like psych thrillers or that kind of style mm. there was just a distinction between two I suppose mm. I think and, and it was going on to a digital imprint as well and I always fancied writing under NJ Mackay to be honest and is and that's what I asked right under originally and my publisher was dead set that they wanted it clear that I was a female writer and stuff and because the downtown was coming out digitally, I got a little bit more leeway about everything um, in terms of the publishing house. So I think because it was a new imprint for them and stuff, so I sort of prodded and said, oh, could I write this one under NJ Five, which is which is my preference for writing now. Yeah. And so um, you mentioned before that it, it took you a very short space of time to write that. And interesting, with my second book, I found it took, uh, first book took years because I was in and out of writing. And I just, like, yeah. like you say, you don't necessarily think you're going to be a published writer, you just write the book. But the second one I got done in about five months. 
And I'm just curious yeah. as to why you feel it was so quick for you in comparison. What was it about that book? I don't that? Know. was just like a gift from the flipping gods. Like there was just something about, and I'm working, I've just, um, the next book that I'm working on at the moment, I started today and it's one of those books I'm in flow with it. And like you guys know, like some books are like Pulling Teeth Loaded, which comes out in May, was really difficult to write. My second book, The Lies We Tell, I mean, bless my ears, it's head. Do you know what I mean? They had me in for a meeting. It's like, it's, it's not quite right. And I mean, initially that book was just, a series of unconnected scenes and I was panicking writing my first book under contract and it was difficult. Um, and I had my I had two editors at Orion at the time, one of whom's moved to Simon Schuster, I think, since. And they worked with me to make that book work. Um, so that was really challenging to write. Loaded took for me took quite a long time. Um, and I'm pretty quick in it. Like I think it's just the way that I work in in whatever I do. I think oh, I'm a bit hyper, so things tend to get done quickly. But loaded was really hard to write. The second saga is just my first after that's about so I'm the second game man, but and that was pretty tricky. But some books just come easy like that. I don't know why. I assumed I was around to all my books would be like that now and, and they're really not. So I mean there's this thread of like um Obviously, you've, you've talked a bit about kind of horror, the, the crime stuff, psychological thrillers, um, and obviously you've got the True Crime podcast. It sounds to me like it, it's almost like a um, Matt Veselovsky type. Um, I don't know if you've read the Six Stories uh, series that oh, he's written. I did. I loved yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, I did. It, it, and I haven't read the follow-up to it yet. Yeah, it's, it seems like all, all those elements fit well in those books. And he's been on the show as well. And uh, we, when we had him on, we um, I just read Changeling, the third book in that series awesome book you check that out so with that in mind speaking about the true crime then how did that come about because i wasn't aware of that coming into this necessarily but um that's a really interesting thing and, and, and i loved serial when i first heard that back in the day and stuff so what got you into yeah. that and what's that been like the podcast yeah so i do that with um victoria selman and elcroft who rob knows and we were sort of brainstorming and trying to come up with, we wanted to do a podcast. We didn't want to do a podcast about writing. Well, I listened to loads of them and I love the crime writing ones and two crime writers and Gilman's Daughters podcast and stuff. So I, I love podcasts about writing, but we wanted to do something that was separate from writing just to give us something else as well as do. And we couldn't come, we were after coming up with this killer idea of like just something original. And it was Victoria who came up with it. <laughs> and she was like, look, what we should do is take unsolved cases, which is what we're thinking of looking at, and solve them, and say how we solve them fictionally. Yeah. Which is genius. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a, we're three crime writers, it's an absolutely perfect way to speak away. So that's what we've done. I mean, doing three cases a season and stuff. But it's been, it's been brilliant. I'm really good in terms of writing as well because you get so much inspiration from. Um, from, you know, I don't know about, I read a lot of, a lot, a lot of the time it'd be headlines or a TV programme I've watched or an episode of Criminal Minds or something. So delving into true crime, there's lots of inspiration there. To, I mean, obviously, true crime gets horrible, but it's, uh, it's been really good. And it's nice to have a social thing to do as well, because all of us are a bit solitary mm. in our jobs. at all freelancers as well, and, and we'll do other bits and bobs, but it's generally all at home and stuff. So it's nice to meet up. Yeah. Also, and record. Yeah. <laughs> So, so um, do you have kind of a, a map? Do you, do you plan out your career? I've asked a couple of writers this, and it's a, it's a, it seems an odd question because I certainly don't. I mean, you might think, oh, I've got this next book in mind, but do you have a kind of a view as to where where you're going, like how many more in the series you're going to do, what, what you're kind of looking at longer term here? I think, like, I would have written, so I'll have had six books out since 2018. So I think that and I'll have, they'll be coming out. They're written, but they'll be coming out to, like, 20, the end of 2021. And I have the appetite for a series, um, to be honest. That's what I'd like to do next. And I really, 
you know, like I grew up reading crime, a lot of the stuff I like is like the Netwalters, Nicky French, Linda, those old style crime books. And I've got, there's a character from one of my standalones that I'd quite like to take over and stuff. So that's kind of what I'm doing with the idea of at the moment. Um, plan a career, I don't know, like I've worked out a few things that I definitely do like and a few things that I definitely don't like. And I always like to have goals. Like, you know, obviously, I think the ultimate goal, isn't it, is readership. You just want as many readers as you can get. So it's, it's looking at the future and publishing, whether that might be better in the digital landscape or whether you've got a chance the Sunday Times list, which I suppose your two choices for getting the most readers. So I had ambition for my career, I think, perhaps rather than a plan. I don't think I've ever had a plan in my life. What's, what's your view on that then? So obviously you mentioned the kind of the digital stuff and then the Sunday Times and whatnot. Do you have a view as to or an opinion as to whether digital will kind of take over in future or whether you would prefer that more traditional sort of sort of route? Or? I don't know. I think that it would be nice if digital sales were recognised um, because, like, you know, the longer you go along, the more writers you know and stuff. And digital authors sell bucket loads of books. Like, they've got so many readers and their readers are very loyal and, you know... I mean, Angie Martins has just signed like a contract for like 13 books or something with Bookature. That's how insanely dedicated her readership is that they know that they'll sell that many books in a series. Mm. And, I, you know, so I think that they're, I don't know which one, I don't know if one's better or worse. I just sort of think that both should be equally recognised, you know, and I would, I would take success with whichever direction it comes. Like it's, it's ultimately, you want your work to be read and to connect with people. That's the best feeling, isn't it? When someone emails you or you get a nice review. Yeah. It's, um, I, I agree. I guess the, the two are, are going to coexist for from here on out, definitely for me. And I think, I think from what I've read, not that long ago, I think print has, has still kind of stabilised, hasn't it? In terms of because it was in decline for a little bit. But you're right. It just it helps you having the, the combination of the two just helps you reach such a wider readership. I think it does. I, I read everything on Kindle, so even like I'll get a proof from a, and I'll ask if they can send it digitally instead of sending a proof and stuff. I read everything on my Kindle. I love it. I absolutely love it. So I'm a real, you know, that's been absolutely no, but I know there are some people who will only read print and obviously, you know, I haven't had a hardback, but I didn't have a book in hardback as well. I'd love to see my name on the Sunday Times. It's obviously, you know, all of these things are aspirational, but I'd also love that, like, you see the Amazon and the Bookature authors who get a million sales and stuff. Like, a million, can you imagine having a million readers? You know, that's mm. some pretty cool stuff. So whichever way it comes, I'm sure there's room for everybody. That's how it. That's how it feels. Like there's got to be room. Yeah, I mean, how much? Um, how much sort of self um, promotion do you do? Because I certainly find that um, when you're with an indie publisher, as well, um, a lot of it kind of once your book's out and there's a period of time passed where they're kind of pushing that book. It, for them, it's obviously there's a high turnover and they're on to the ne- kind of the next thing. There's a lot of onus on yeah. you to kind of self promote and put yourself about and things and. And, and I think that was the one thing personally that I hadn't really thought about going into it. And it is quite time consuming. And, 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 I, and I think sometimes I find that you feel, I certainly feel like lost in a sea of millions of writers trying to do the same thing. And I don't know whether yeah, you have, have that feeling as well. Or... Yeah, I mean, it's overwhelming. And it is, and it's a, it's a competitive industry and all of that sort of thing. But then I just, you know... I think it's one of those industries where I think resilience is key as well because you just don't know whether it's going to be the 10th. You know, there are lots of authors. There are loads of people who get the sparkling debut and it's really, really successful from there on in. And then you've got authors who break out with book 10 or 11 or 21 and, 
you know, you just got to hang on in there and tell the stories. But yeah, self promo, like it's not, it's not my thing. I'm not. I'm, again, it just comes back to any sort of admin skills. I hate answering emails. Is my brain just doesn't work in that way. So marketing and self promotion isn't stuff that comes naturally to me. Like I'll do a bit of it around publication and stuff. But interestingly, like with um, Bounce, which came out digitally and was obviously a much lower price point, that sold steadily for a long period mm. rather than like my trad deals which come out and they'll have like spikes where it's reduced no time peels up, but there's not that. So I, I don't know, like it's different. I think some, yeah, the self-marketing and stuff just isn't, I'm not good at it. Are you guys good at this? Is this something you do quite a bit of? I don't think I'm great at it. No. I think for me, it's 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 peaks and troughs in yeah, terms of yeah. how much time, energy, and enthusiasm I can dedicate to it. Um, like like Adam, I've still got a day job as well, um, and I've got them, a two year old and a one year old. I mean, that's just... so kind of between them, it's 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 definitely peaks and troughs. I obviously I have to switch on and focus a lot more when it builds up to a publication date, and and yeah. then you know the, the aftermath of that. But I think in between, I could definitely do more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just, we all could, couldn't we? But then I don't know what's effective. Do you know what exactly, I mean? Like, I know exactly. Exactly. People doing newsletter and stuff. I mean, ultimately, what's effective is Facebook and Amazon ads, and I've not got an endless pit of money, so probably not that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what's that. Pigeonhole is really effective, but again, it's like a page thing, you know. So I, I don't, you know, I mean, what do you do? You just, I think it's just write the best book that you can. Yeah, and, I found the uh, Hall was really interesting to work with, actually, because we, we worked yeah. with them um, Nicky yeah, and I on, on a charity anthology called Afraid of the Light, shameless plug, mm-hmm. um, of which volume right. two is coming out in time for Christmas. So it's all, and all yeah. proceeds are going to uh, charity. The first one was um, Samaritan. Right. Um, and have we, have we revealed publicly who the, the next one's going to be? All right, I'll keep yeah, that. I don't think. I don't know. Um, I don't want to get told off in case we have to run. I know. I can't remember. Again. Yeah, 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 the concept of pigeonhole was really interesting, getting that yeah. in, in the moment, almost live reader feedback. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was really, really insightful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also reviews. Like, it's, you know, I think it's so difficult to get reviews for your book. You can send out arts to bloggers, you can put it on NetGalley, but people don't transfer it. And pigeonhole seems to be the place where genuinely the, trend, the reviews transfer over, which is a cool thing. So, How long it lasts, we don't know. Speaking of promotion, then, uh, where can people find out about you, then, Nikki? Where, where's uh-huh. what's your Twitter and your website and all that sort of thing? I think I'm so what I've seen this about. I think my Twitter is at Nikki Mackay Books. I'm sure it is, and my website is nikkimackay.com. And I'm dead friendly. Find me on Twitter or Instagram, which I'm useless at. So if you send me a message or anything on Instagram, and I've not replied, I probably just haven't seen it because I'm too old for Instagram. I can't figure it out. My team's blocked me on there. It's just an embarrassment for him to Facebook, I hang out on Facebook from time to time. It's good for mainly, yeah. which is like the epicenter of publishing, isn't it? So we have three questions we ask every guest on the show before before they go. Uh-huh. So I'll come to them now. Um, uh, the first one is, if your house was burning down, what's the one book you would save? And let's say your Kindle was going to crash and you could only have one book left on it then, which, which book uh-huh. would that be? That was my cheek. I mean, it would be a Christopher Pike's Final Friends trilogy, which I have in a one book, so that counts. <laughs> uh, if you were on, if you were on death row, what would your final meal request be? Um, <laughs> makes me sad to think like that. That's such a messed up thing in a death row. Um, that's really bad, but I don't know, like pancakes, something sugary or chocolatey. That's yeah, a meal. Isn't fair it? enough. Thanks for the and then uh, the last question is peanut butter. Do you prefer it smooth or crunchy? Smooth. 
Brilliant, yeah. I, I like it when we get somebody on who, who agrees with me and has it smooth. So, Nikki Mackay, thank you very much for coming on the Northern Crime Syndicate podcast today. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Nikki. Welcome to the After Show segment of the Northern Crime Syndicate podcast with me, your host, A.M. Peacock and Robert Scrag. Um, and also, just to ask all of our listeners, we appreciate your support. If you could tweet, share, tell all your friends, give us nice reviews online, whatever else you can do to spread the word about the Northern Crime Syndicate podcast, that would be much appreciated. Uh, Rob, what did you think of that then? And uh, you were telling us before that you, you've known Nikki for quite a while, so kind of how did you guys meet? And um... we, we met on Twitter, first and foremost, actually, because I, I just happened to see um, somebody that I knew liked her tweet, and um, she's represented by the same agent that I just signed with. So I just I, I dropped her a line and just said, hi, I've just spotted you're, you're with um, Blair Partnership as well. Um, and we started chatting from there. Um, and then it turned out not only were we with the same agency, but we also had the same publication date for our debuts. So we were like book twins. Um, and then we've just, we've caught up at, at most of the big crime fiction festivals since then and just, just hang out really. Um, so that was, I mean, that's four years ago now that we both signed with Blair Partnership. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, kind of gone from there, really. Yeah, she sounds quite, um, I don't know if the word's organised, you know, kind of that single-minded, you know, she's X amount of books coming out. She kind of, I know she says she didn't have a plan, but she has like an ambition about her writing career. And I found yeah. that quite interesting to kind of, to hear about, you know. I, I think she, she probably underestimates and sells herself short on her own um, output and productivity because she, she, has written and is writing an awful lot of material. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as I said, I, I have read everything she's put out so far on the genuinely, genuinely great books. Where do people start then? Would you start with the series or the standalone? Or is it, would, would you just say it doesn't really, really matter? Uh, so if, it, I, if I was kind of badly last eight ninety nine and I was in the shop trying to pick up one of her books, which would you uh, recommend to start? If I, could, if I could only go for one, I would probably go for Founder. Um, but that's, that's if you only had eight ninety nine and weren't willing to shop the other two. But as we know, plenty of bookshops have buy one get one half price, so it would be rude not to get two, wouldn't it? Really. <laughs> this is it, indeed. And the, um, the the character she mentioned, Madison Attlee, the, the private detective, um, is is you know, again outstanding for me. Mm. Um, really, really, it's a great great series so far, um, and I, I do hope she does more with her as well. Yeah, yeah. So, what about you then? What's happening? Because you uh, every time, well. I'm sure every time I look online, you've kind of signed a contract for X amount of new books, or you're writing something oh, different. Wish, or, and you've, wish, got, read, you've got these 10 full-time jobs and eight kids, and I, I don't know how you fit anything in, but you, you, lots of different and, things and on the just, go. Just to further complicate, I'm doing a part-time degree as well. So, <laughs> in what? HR. Um, <laughs> wow. Is what I, that's what I do for my day job, yeah. so it's kind of to, to supplement that. Um, so, no, I've, I've um, delivered book four, which is the um, the last one on the current contract, and I've just started doing my edits for book four, um, my um, copy and line edits. That one comes out 21st of January. And then beyond that, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I am um, a part of ways with my agent a couple of months back, so I'm, I'm currently out on submission. I've got a number of agents reading a, a standalone manuscript that I've sent out, so hoping to uh, to find someone who is as keen on that as I am. Um and uh, I've got a few other ideas ideas for, for my series. Should mm -hmm. um, should Alison and Busby be interested in, in continuing with that as well? So yeah. plenty of irons in the fire, and I, I still fancy finishing my movie script as well. Thought that that's worth just as a, a bit of a it's it's almost like a palate cleanser mm. in, in between writing books. Yeah. Um, and we were talking before a little bit about um, 
you know, wh- whether you'll think next year some of the some of the big crime writing festivals will be on. It just feels like such a long time since we're able to kind of all be there in person with all the readers and writers and kind of, you know, it just seems like a distant memory, doesn't it, Harrogate and the like now? It does. I mean, if you believe Donald Trump yesterday, he's he's been cured and he's going to share that cure with millions. Um, so who knows? But mm-hmm. I, I think for me, I was I was gutted most mostly when Newcastle was cancelled this year because that's mm-hmm. obviously my hometown festival. Yeah, indeed. That's that's one of the the earlier festivals for next year. So I think that'll be the bit of a yardstick mm-hmm. if um, if that one can go ahead, and maybe even if things are a little bit more positive, it might just be a combination, like a hybrid, so mm. smaller face-to-face attendance and then streamed live online as well. We might find that generally, you know, like it's kind of opened up the, the opportunity for people who can't get there in person to, to pay via video or whatever and sign up via yeah. Zoom and you could watch it digitally or be there in person in the future. So, it, you know, out of out of this kind of difficult time, there may be some, some hope in that regard for people because not everybody can have access to those things, can they really? Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. So, um, what are you doing and what else are you doing then? Because I've been watching a couple of TV shows and whatnot. I keep myself busy in the evenings when I when I probably should be writing. Um, and I don't know if you've seen Cobra Kai on Netflix, but it's absolutely I am fantastic. Busy watching season one. I'm six oh. episodes in. I think. Well, I'm, enjoying I'm, bouncing, I'm bouncing between so many different series at the moment. There's Cobra Kai. Yeah, I've just finished watching Criminal on Netflix. Yeah, that's on the list. Which is excellent, and that that really, from a you know, looking at that from a writer's point of view, that that it's all set in the police station, mostly in one room. So it's all yeah. about the dialogue for me, really, and the, and the characters. So that that is a superb example of of mm. some very well written scenes. Um, and we've also started watching a show on Amazon Prime called This Is Us. Okay, yeah, it rings which, a bell. Which again, like three, four episodes in, um, and I found out that there's seventy seven in total. So that's my next. Uh, my next big binge. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, then, like, I, I absolutely loved Cobra Kai. Um, series two was brilliant as well. Just the nostalgia of it, and you know, the music, the acting, the just everything about it was just brilliant. You know, such an easy I, watch. The the thing that I loved as well before I even watched season one, episode one, I read a little bit about it, and there was just apparently there's been an argument going on for years to say that um, Daniel Larusso won and, and beat Johnny with an illegal yeah, strike. Yeah, yeah. And that actually it was the result should have been null and void. Uh, I, I love the kind of that that as the basis. Absolutely, he brings it up that. all the time. Like, um, yeah. I've all, I also watched Young Valanda for if you're a, I don't know if you're a fan of the Henning Mankell series. Um, I've read a couple, but I've never I've never actually watched the adaptation. On the yeah, before. well, because uh, Kenneth Branagh was um, in the BBC adaptation, and and this is weird. This is like a prequel. It was never written as a book, so it's the character Valanda, but as a young detective, but in mm. modern day Sweden. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, go figure with that. But I quite enjoyed it. I wasn't sure at the ending. I have to mm-hmm. think about it a bit more, I think. But, but you know, the series itself is really quite good. And it was a lot of modern day kind of issues around, you know, racial sort of um, tensions and whatnot. Yeah. So that's, that's worth a, a try, I think, as well. Another one I'd recommend for something a bit different, again, on Amazon Prime, is The Boys. I've been watching, yeah, I'm up to date with that. Looking forward to tomorrow's um, episode, yeah two episodes away from the end of season two so far and i just love that flipping the whole superhero thing on its head yeah man yeah i think um i think series two has not been as good as one but the last two episodes have been a lot better so i i think you know where you're up to i think it takes it up a notch in series two in my opinion so hopefully it'll have a strong ending as well when it when it comes but yeah i enjoy that yeah that's a great example i think you know we were talking about this notion of high concept what makes high concept when it comes to books and that that really kind of killer idea you can you can sum up in one or two lines, and I think to have superheroes with that kind of bad streak 
is is just uh is, yeah yeah that, that really super sucked me in it's one of them shows where like not everybody's into superheroes and stuff like that and, and when you try and describe it i find it difficult to to sell it to people who might be a bit unsure about it but you really yeah. do have to watch it to kind of you know it is different and uh quite out there and, and i did lo- i love series one certainly more than two i think but it was um i agree i just think t- flipping it on its head and having the superheroes as kind of bad guys is a, a genius idea it's one of those things where i think wish i'd thought of that I didn't recognise the guy who plays Homelander. He was um, he was the lead guy in another series called Banshee as well. But okay. I didn't recognise him, but his, his kind of clean-cut image, dyed blonde hair and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, That's another, yeah. another very good series as well, actually. Banshee's on Prime. Uh, and Simon Pegg's in The Boys as well, but like a really small, not yeah, recurring yeah. role, isn't it? It's almost like you just like the idea and said, oh, I'll be in it for like a, a short yeah, like, time. He, he must have had like a spare week in between Mission Impossible films and just thought, well, just sat twiddling my thumbs, I'll jump on this one. Oh, exactly. Well, Rob, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Uh, it's cracking on quite late for us now, and you have uh, eight books to write and degrees to do and kids to look after, um, and I have a cat to feed, so uh, I suppose we'll best, we'll best get away now. But take care, and we'll uh, speak yeah, soon. Yeah, you too, mate. Good to catch up. Cheers, man. Speak soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.